by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Alright. Merry Christmas everybody. Our kids did a great job, didn't they? Yeah. Devin, I'm gonna need you to just stay up here, bro, and just give me background every time I say something. <laughs> Fade out perfectly, amen. <laughs> so I just wanna start off with, with a couple of questions on our, our Christmas service. Uh, what did you guys get last year for Christmas? Every single present. Oh, we don't remember. You know why? Because <laughs> those gifts didn't change your life. Who was at last year's Christmas dinner and Christmas party? Family, work, all the parties you went to last year. Every person. We don't remember. You know why? Because those people didn't change your life. What's the true story behind St. Nicholas? Or we call him Santa Claus. We've heard the story. It's been taught to us from time to time, but we don't remember. You know why? Because St. Nicholas didn't change our lives. What's the true story behind the origin of Christmas trees and why we decorate them and why there's lights and why we put something on the top of them? I'm sure you've heard the story. I'm sure that you've read it somewhere, even had it preached in a message before, but we don't remember because Christmas trees don't change our lives. As we come today for our Christmas service, some of you are here for the first time. Some of you are our occasional visitors. Uh, others of us have been here week after week, and we understand that this is uh, not just a one-off message. This is the fourth week of our series that we've been going through called The Sign of the Times. And I think that today we reach kind of this peak or this crescendo of, of what this series has been about. And uh, trying to read these signs of the times so that we could be led into a particular direction. We started off with uh, the sign of the time for coexist. And if you haven't listened to any of these, I appreciate it or I would encourage you to go back and kind of listen through this series. And I think that even when you're done today, it'll help you see things hopefully in a, in a better light. But at the end of the day, this sign is antichrist because it basically says that there's no real God. Just let everyone believe whatever they want to as long as they're nice about it. We can all just coexist. We can all just get along and you guys can have your Christmas service and we'll have a different service and we'll all just play nice together. In week number two, we looked at the sign for what is supposed to be uh, sexual and gender equality. But we saw that this too was antichrist because it strips men and women of their true identity, which is perfect as we're each created in the image of God. 
Last week, we looked at the sign of the zodiac, and it represents magic and astrology, and we saw that this too is antichrist, points us to answers in the stars rather than following the light of the stars to the God who created them. How many of you saw that light in the sky on Friday night, and at least for a minute, you thought Christ was coming back? <laughs> right? You're like, oh, Lord, the signs of the times. Everybody pulled out the app. What did he say? <laughs> So when I realized that it wasn't the second coming and I was grabbing my kids just in case it was the rapture, like, let's go together. <laughs> when I realized that it wasn't that, I was also grateful, though, saying, Lord, I feel like what you're saying is still, though, that our series is right on track, yeah. that we're looking in the right direction to talk about zodiacs and astrology and stars and, and reading these things and magi and magic. And then to see that on Friday, I think we're right where we need to be this morning. Somebody say Amen. So we finished up last week by looking at these wise men, and, and the, the kids basically preached the whole Christmas story, but they followed this star that was probably a little bit more hidden than what we saw on Friday night, but in the sense of being unique, in the sense of being something that we don't often see and we know that it's different, these magi or these wise men, they looked at the stars and they saw one that they had never seen before. They saw something that led them somewhere that they had never been before, similarly to what we saw on Friday night, something unique and something out of place in the heavens. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 says, after this, or excuse me, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. You know, I, I appreciate what Gary said during our offering, like we come with a gift to bear. It's Christmas, and it's his birthday. We come with our offering. We come with our tithes. But he said we come with all of our lives, surrendering it and giving it unto the Lord. This morning, each of you are like these wise men who traveled a great distance looking for something. I pray that you're looking for the right thing this morning, that you didn't just come to church, that you're in search of something, that you're seeking something, that you don't want to go home without having received it this morning. I wonder how many of us have come looking for a children's church Christmas program. And we prepared for it, and we dressed for it, and we got out our cameras for it, and grilled the kids for it day after day. How many of us come looking for a loving community, right? We're just coming because we want to be loved, and we want to be cared for, we want to be heard, we want to be considered, we want to be texted, we want to be liked when we post something, so we come to the church looking for that loving community of people. Some of us have come looking for a pass for the way that we live the rest of the year so far, not really thinking about God, not really serving God, not really being in fellowship with him and honoring and desiring to please him. So a lot of people are in churches today saying, well, today's the day where I get right before the last couple of days of the year. Amen. And I honor him and I, and I live for him and, and I give him my day. Some of us come looking to be entertained by a message with a new twist on the Christmas story. I wonder what the pastors have for us today. How many people do you think are in churches today saying, what kind of twist is going to be on the story? What are we going to hear that we haven't heard before? I thought about it in preparation for this message that, you know, it might be wise to look back over 10 years how many messages I've preached on Christmas, how many things we've said, and, and how can we spice it up for you a little bit. So today, in week number four of our series, I think it's fitting the sign of the times that we're going to look at is, is choice. Say choice. choice. 
So you get to choose your gift this morning. You can choose from the list that I just shared with you or any other gift that you want for Christmas. Chances are that you can have whatever you came looking for this morning. If you want to be entertained, you can be entertained. If you want to see a children's church program, you can see a children's church program. If you want to get right and feel better about yourself for the end of the year and going into next year, you can get that too. Choose your gift. Isn't it true that Christmas is really no longer about the giver giving people what they want to give them and what they think that they would like? And Christmas has come, become more about the receiver declaring what it is that they want. We don't get to just give people what we would like to give them or what we think that they would like. We call people and say, what do you want? I don't want to get you something you don't like. Just tell me what you want. Even between husbands and wives, some people actually buy their own gift and then give it to the other person to wrap it and give back to them. <laughs> That's crazy. See, this was always true of children, right? They make a list and they tell you, this is exactly what I want. My kids have been carrying around their list. <laughs> this morning, Niall got out of the car, and we had a bunch of stuff to bring into church, and he didn't carry anything because he had his list in his hand. And I said, son, leave your list in the car. And he said, no, Dad, I have to take it inside. I said, okay, well, listen, if you lose it, that means Santa's not going to be able to read it, and you ain't going to get nothing on your list. <laughs> he knows. He know. He knows everything he wants, and it's all laid out for him, right? But it's crazy when you think that uh, it's not just the children anymore who choose their gifts. It's everybody. It truly is the sign of the times. We want to choose what we want, and then we want other people to give it to us. So this morning, the choice that you get to make when I say to choose your gift is <clears throat> whether you're going to allow God to give you what it is that he has for you, or if you're going to stand your, stand your ground and say, I know what I want. And you're going to tell God what that is. We want to help you make that decision this morning. And we want you to be blessed. So we're not going to let you leave without getting a gift. If you guys don't have friends and family that love you, you have a church that loves you, we have a gift for you. Matter of fact, Gary and uh, Sarah, can you help me out? So the, the ones in the white are for the men. And the ones in the silver are for the women. Just white and silver. If you can get that to everybody as quickly as possible. We love you guys. Say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Don't, say you don't say you didn't get anything. <laughs> you got something. <clears throat> See, now's when I need Devin to be singing in the background. Amen. So we'll get one of those in all your hands, Gary. Gary she needs some more envelopes. So. <laughs> there you go. Get them out to him. Praise the Lord. And you got an early Christmas gift. It's only Christmas Eve. Some of you are from those families that open all your gifts on Christmas Eve. I, I got to be honest with you, I can't stand that. Can't even wait till the day of Christmas. All right, so since most of those are out, the rest of you get yours in just a second here. You can go ahead and open your gift. You don't have to be shy. We'll let you open early. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what you got here is a pacifier. <laughs> and we're going to look at, at uh, 
what it really is, what the pacifier really is. See, when a child is hungry or wet or tired or angry or sad, and as a parent, we use the pacifier to distract the child from the real need so that we as parents can have what we like to call peace. <laughs> Stop crying. Stop throwing a temper tantrum. I don't care if you're hungry or if you're tired, if you're wet, if you're mad about something, if you're sad about something, we pull out that pacifier, we stick it in their mouth, and they're distracted. They forget about what was just overwhelming them just a few seconds before. To be distracted is to remove the focus from where it's actually supposed to be. Somebody say amen. Even at Christmas, for Christians, the focus is often everywhere but where it should be. I saw a post from a church inviting people to today's Christmas service at their church, and this is what the post said. There'll be carols with a twist. There'll be kids singing. There'll be a candle lighting and a short Christmas message. See, they know that people aren't really in it for the Christmas message. Somebody say amen. amen. So what are they doing? They're attempting to pacify them with what they do want. They want to come and hear the carols. They want to come and see the kids. They want to be a part of that atmosphere of the lights going down and the candle lighting taking place. And then for just a few minutes, we're going to tell you this story about Christmas. The funny thing is, is that I know this church and it's a good church. It doesn't mean that they're a bad church. It just means that even the church has a tendency to pacify. Pacifiers are why year after year, just like you can't remember what gift you got last year and you can't remember who was at the party last year, you don't remember the story about St. Nick, you don't know why we decorate Christmas trees, it's because year after year we are pacified in church when it comes to Christmas. Today I refuse to pacify and entertain I refuse to draw your focus away from where it should be. This Christmas and all others are about one thing, and it's something that you won't forget about 12 months from now. When you're asked next year about Christmas, at least about your service, hopefully, it won't be something that falls into the categories of fables and parties that come and go. Christmas is about Emmanuel, who is God with us. It's a true story about God coming into the world that he created as a human being. Christmas is truly all about Jesus. It's not about anything else. Any other focus would be to pacify yourself. So choose wisely which gift it is that you receive this year. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It says that it's all about him. Christmas was for him. It was by him. It was through him. You haven't given anything to God that he didn't first give to us. We don't understand his ways. We don't understand his thinking. It's so far above and beyond us. But we should put all of our focus and attention on him this morning. Amen? Amen. Why don't we pray? 
Lord, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you that it's your idea. We apologize and repent for all the things that we've put on top of that, Lord God. How we've pacified one another, Lord. How we pacify the world, even as the church. And allow Christmas to become something that it's not, Lord. Remove the scales from our eyes this morning, Father God. Let us put all of our focus and attention on you, Lord. If we've been aggravated and frustrated, Lord, with shopping, with our lack with the needs, with our desires, with how we're treated and what we have and what we don't have and where we're going and where we're not going, Lord. Help us to put all those things to the side and to focus upon you, Lord God. It's by you. It's for you. It's through you, Lord God. And it truly is a gift that you've given unto us, Lord. We don't want to be pacified this morning. We don't want to choose our own gift, Lord. We want the special one that you wrapped in swaddling cloths and gave to us. We love you this morning and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So I'm going to try not to major in the minors this morning. I'm going to share on the why, the how, and the wow of Christmas. The why, the how, and the wow. And before I even get into it, just as I was praying, I was thinking about it. We went on an outreach on a Thursday night. Because again, it's not about us getting more gifts. It's about those that don't know the Lord being able to find him and know him. So we went out outreaching and talking to people. There was a high school group at both sides of this Walmart wrapping gifts. And they were excited. They were trying to make money for their school. I went up to them and said, hey, do you guys have a church that you're going to? And they got like offended. Like, don't talk to me about church. And like one guy, one teenager who was so cool, man, I want to pray for that young man. He was like, I'm going to church. I don't know about the rest of these people, though. <laughs> these are his own schoolmates, right? And you should have seen the attitude that these kids and the parents had on their face when you just asked them about, are you guys going to church? And then I just couldn't help myself. I said, so, so it's about wrapping gifts and, and gifts. It's not really about Jesus. Like you guys are you're out here making money because of Christmas, but it's a Christmas without Christ. And they were still kind of frustrated with me. They didn't like me. I don't think they're going to show up today. I don't see any of them. <laughs> However, I just couldn't take it. <laughs> a Christmas without Christ making money off of his birthday as you wrap gifts for other people to make money for your school, and it's just, we're all so pacified. <laughs> we're all so wrapped up in the wrong story and in the wrong things. I'm watching people all over Facebook who don't even believe in Jesus, but they're doing good works this week and this weekend, feeding the homeless, giving gifts to people who don't have gifts. But all that is doing is pacifying them it's not about Jesus. Nobody in all of history ever expected God to come into the world as a person, let alone as a child that be birthed into the world and a childbirth of a virgin. This is truly the foundation and the key to our faith, to my faith. <clears throat> Everything else depends on this manger. Everything that we believe depends on the fact that God came into the world, that he was birthed as a child, that he was birthed by a virgin, well, another way of saying that is this. <clears throat> the God that we love and that we serve that died for us on the cross has no power whatsoever if it's not the same God that was in a crib. We get excited about the cross. We get excited about salvation and atonement and all the things we saw in our Holy Day season uh, uh, series, right? Oh, he died for us, and, and his blood was shed, and by his wounds, I'm healed, and God, I can't believe you would sacrifice for me. But that's just a man dying if he didn't come into the world in a crib, in a manger, <laughs> in the middle of a stable, 
That other story has no power. Lots of people died, and lots of people were crucified. <clears throat> we saw how the wise men were reading the signs of the times in the heavens, and there was something joyous about how they came, right? They saw the sign. They said, the king has come. Finally, we've been waiting for literally hundreds of years, and we're going there, and we're going to see him, and they fall down, and they praise him, and they give him gifts, and they worship, right? That's a joyous sign of the times. But there's also signs of the times that are not so joyous. Things that happen that don't give us reason to, uh, to praise and to laugh and to smile. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, the same area of the, of the wise men coming to know that the Lord was here, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by these wise men, he was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So on one hand, these wise men, they see the star, they come into Bethlehem, right? They see the child, they worship him, there's gift, they're singing. There's all these great stories. Simeon's there in the church, <clears throat> and they bring in the child when he's going to be uh, um, um, circumcised, Anna's in the church. It's like all these wonderful things that God is doing. At the very same time, all through Bethlehem and all of its regions, every male child two years and younger is being murdered. And there's weeping and there's crying. It says that Rachel was crying, right? Weeping and crying. Can you imagine that? What kind of Christmas is this? <laughs> what kind of time of celebration is this? God knew it was going to happen. Why didn't he stop that? You know why? Because all the signs of the times confirm the times, the good signs and the bad signs. In our lives, we have good things happen to us and we have bad things happen to us, and we hate the bad things, but God can use the bad things. Long before this day, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, it says, Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children, because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord. See, long before Jesus comes to the earth and all these young boys are murdered, the Lord said, listen, it's going to happen, but there's still hope. You're going to cry, but there's something after this. There's good signs like stars in the sky, and there's bad signs like these children being murdered. But there's still hope if you know the God who's showing you the signs. Christianity in many ways is about connecting these dots opening all the gifts of the Lord, whether we want them or not. Amen. I've opened some things since coming to know the Lord that I didn't want to open. <laughs> and I didn't want to have, and I didn't, I didn't consider it a gift at the time. But some of those bad things have proven to be some of the most strengthening things in my walk with God. Amen. Isaiah 46, 9 says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. God is the only one who knows the end from the beginning. Amen? Yes. 
So if he throws you a life raft for Christmas, you shouldn't take it and say, this isn't what I asked for, and throw it back to him. What you should do is say, maybe a flood is coming. He knows the end from the beginning. He gives nothing but perfect gifts. He wouldn't give it to you if it wasn't the best thing for you. We just keep throwing gifts back at God like, that's not what I asked for. And then when we're drowning, we're like, where are you? <laughs> it's crazy. You know why? Because when he's trying to teach us these things and show us these things and develop us as men and women of God who really know the story of Christmas, we're looking for pacifiers. When we're wrestling in our, in our marriages, and our relationships, instead of going through the drama, we're looking for a quick pacifier. When we're in our singlehood, instead of wrestling with what it means to be a single man or woman of God, we're looking for a pacifier. And we're throwing back the gifts of God like they have no worth and no value. <clears throat> so at Christmas... We aren't looking at the end or the beginning, right? He said, I'm the only one that knows the end from the beginning. But at Christmas, we're truly not looking at the end or the beginning. We're looking at the middle. We're looking at the center, the core, the point at which everything from the past is concluded and done. And everything that is going to take place in the future really begins in the manger. The, the past is done and the future cannot happen without this moment in the middle, the core, the center, the, 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 the true apex of our faith. So the why, the how, and the wow. Number one, the why of Christmas. How many of you have seen the, the show? I don't know if it's even still on, but it was called Undercover Boss. Yes. Anybody? All right. All right. So we love shows like Undercover Boss. We love stories like if you're, if you're into like military and war, like when the general goes out onto the battlefield and he dies with the soldiers. We love... Coaches getting ejected. I was watching a game and the coach got kicked out, right? Coach got ejected for his players, his team. <clears throat> Even spiritually, right, we look at our pastors. You know, many people love to, to know that you have a pastor that has a regular full-time, 40-hour-a-week job. But why do we love stories like that? Why do we love that, that kind of dichotomy? It's because we love when the line between the top and the bottom is blurred. We love when these two opposite ends of the spectrum become one. The Bible, the redemption of man, is ultimately, uh, and ultimately Christmas, is about that blurring of the line. The top and the bottom, but it's on a scale that many, many of us can't really understand. The world has never seen anything like Christmas before or after. See, Undercover Boss is about the conditions that workers suffer while making their boss a fortune, right? That's why we want to watch that show. The boss comes in, he's like, oh, I didn't know you guys had to work like this. I didn't know you were working hours like this. I didn't know it was so filthy back here behind the scenes in this Burger King, right? They're making the boss a fortune, and we love when the boss has to come and do that work and take out that trash. Generals dying on the battlefield, it's showing everyone that the top of the structure is not just talking with their mouth. They're willing to die for the same thing that they're sending these other soldiers to die for. So we love that. Don't just send these soldiers out to die. Go die with them, and then we believe that you believe in the cause. When a coach gets ejected, it's about defending his players. They're not just pawns that you put out there, right? You're going to defend your players. They can't defend themselves because of the rules, but you can take a stand and say, you know what, you're doing my players wrong, and I'm really going to fight for them. 
in his suit and tie and he gets kicked off. We love it. Even pastors work at a regular job is about showing the, the, the congregation that godliness is not a job set aside for holy people, right? Righteousness is not the byproduct of just having a bunch of time, right? Because if your pastor maybe doesn't work, you might say, well, he's supposed to live like that. All day, every day, he just sits around with God asking him how to be good. <laughs> See, whether we recognize it or not, we love these types of extremes when they come together in our world, right? When the opposite ends meet in the middle somewhere. The separation that's brought together at Christmas is so much greater than any of these types of things, though. There is no greater separation than that of an almighty, all-powerful, all-truly-holy God being separated from the created, fragile, and truly sinful men and women that we are. How many of you believe that there's true evil in the world? Like real evil. Not just like there's some kind of bad people. I'm talking about evil. So here's an example. Let's take some of the worst of the evil out there in the world. Men and women who abuse and molest children, who sedate, drug, and poison them in order that they could sell them into sex trafficking and slavery. Like that's happening right now. Like that, that is what's on some men and women's Christmas list is to get children like that. Oh, I'm sorry, did you want to be pacified today? Like, it's real. That level of evil is really alive in the world. When we're sitting here today talking about Jesus, there's people online, via the mail, and on the phone trying to trade children for sex trafficking right now in this moment. Let's compare them to some of the greatest men and women that we've ever seen in our society. Right? They spend their whole lives, the Mother Teresas of the world, right? their whole lives caring for the needy and the poor and the sick, and they don't care what they have or where they have to go, even if they have to die in order to help people who can't help themselves. Right? So you've got these two ends of the, of the spectrum. right? So get this. The greatest of us in the world, the best that you could ever think of, who have done the most for society, the most for the world, the most for other people, Right? They'd be closer to the worst of us than they could ever imagine being to God. Think about that for a second. The separation between us and God is so far that the best of us are infinitely closer to the worst of us than any of us are to God. I think sometimes we forget how far away He is. We think. Well, I'm definitely not a child molesting, um, uh, sex trafficking, evil man or woman. So I'm definitely closer to a good person and I'm closer to God than anything else. That is not the reality. You are closer to being one of those people than you could ever imagine being to God. That's right. Amen. We're going to tell the truth this morning. Romans 3.22 says, there is no difference. In comparison to those two groups of people I said, the best of us and the worst of us, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64, 5 says, you are indeed angry, speaking of God, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue. We haven't even stopped. (laughs) I don't know about the rest of you, but I haven't stopped. I wish you guys could have been at our house this morning. It wasn't a crazy one. 
But we were frustrated and arguing about like laundry. <laughs> we haven't stopped sinning. He says, in these ways we continue and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. So that group of Mother Teresa's, right, that have done everything for everyone. They never wanted anything. They never had anything. They gave everything that they had. The best that they could produce, all their righteousnesses, that's a real word, righteousnesses, <laughs> all of them are like filthy rags. And when the Bible says filthy rags, it's talking about the rags that a woman would use during her cycle. The best that we have is so far from God, we cannot imagine it, church. Who do we think we are this Christmas? And what do we think we deserve? And what is it that we're going to choose to be under the tree for ourselves? See, when we blur the lines between the top and the bottom, we do it partly because of pride. We do it partly for a show. And at the end of the day, the line and the divide wasn't nearly as wide as we'd like to make each other believe, right? Oh, we're going to blur the line between the top and the bottom, but we want everybody to see us. We're going to blur the line between the top and the bottom, and we're going to make them think that it was really wide, and we brought it together because we're such good people. Here's the reality. A boss is not a better person than anybody that works for them. A general's life is not worth more than an infantry soldier. A coach is not really the brains of the operation. They're just a coach. No better or worse than the players. And a pastor is no greater example, a working pastor is no greater example of what it means to serve God than a stay-at-home wife. It doesn't matter. That line is not as far as we'd like each other to think, right? When Bill Gates gives millions and millions of dollars, it's no different than somebody who makes $100 a month giving 10 of those to the Lord. Just because he gave a billion, it doesn't matter. You heard the scripture, the widow gave, this widow woman gave her last two mites. The line is not as far as we'd like people to believe it is. We enjoy blurring a make-believe line, but when God came into the world as a man, he completely erased a line that was real. A real line of separation, and people who were so far separated from him, he comes into the world and he really erases that line. We don't even have a unit of measure that can help us make sense of it. Like the best that we can do right now is say like halfway across the world, right? Like you get on a plane and you fly about 16 hours and you're on the other side of the world. That's the best we can do. That doesn't even come close to how far we were separated from God when he comes into the world as a child. So far that only God could bring us back together. And it took something unimaginable for him to even be able to do it. So he's got to come into the world to close the divide. And then he has to die on a cross so that we can cross over and be brought back together. It's unbelievable what he's done. But we're thinking about what's under the tree. And we're the church. If we ain't thinking about the truth of Christmas, what is everybody going to be thinking when you show up to dinner tomorrow? And when we talk about what we got when we get back to work, and we talk about the songs that our kids sing, I want you just to remember we're being pacified. 
This is the why of Christmas, because there was no other way. There's no other way. If he doesn't do this, <laughs> it doesn't happen. There is no other way. There is no other help. There is no other hope. There is no other chance. The best of us and the worst of us are going to hell. Don't allow yourself to be pacified with some other story this Christmas or some other reality. God himself did the unimaginable so that you and I could experience the impossible. He came out of heaven into a man which he created men and women so that he could live a perfect life and die for us so that we can have what's impossible, which is to be brought back together with somebody who we've gotten so far away from. That's the why of Christmas. When somebody asks you tomorrow and every day after for the next couple of weeks, how was your Christmas? Please tell them something about what Jesus has done. Please. Don't pacify them with the answer you know they want, which was it was good. I enjoyed the time off of work and I, I got a couple things and we blessed the kids and, and God blessed us this year to be able to buy some things. No, man, I was reminded this year of how far I was separated and what he had to do to bring me back together with him. Amen. That's the why of Christmas. How about the how? God is infinitely wise. Amen. Amen. He knew how unfathomable this would be for people. He's not ignorant. Like, this story is crazy. It's normal to us because you're crazy people now. When you get saved, you get put into the category of crazy people who believe crazy things. But if you think back before you were saved, this is the craziest of all crazy stories. And God knew that that's how it would be looked at. First, we have to acknowledge that we're sinners and that we're closer to being child molesting, uh, sex trafficking, uh, horrible people than we are to being a good person. You got to believe that and accept that if you want to be a Christian. Then after that, you got to believe that you are therefore spiritually dead. There's nothing good alive inside of you. On your best day, you're spiritually dead. Then you have to commit your lives to a man who said he's God and died for you. Then you can cross over from death into life. Like I said, you're crazy people. It's a lot to swallow. Jesus says it like this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no closing the gap. There's no access for you. There's no hope for you. There's no salvation for you. I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. Every other story you heard that doesn't include a virgin birth baby that is God in a manger, that's the only truth. Anything else you've heard is a lie. And there's only life found in me. If you don't have me, you don't have life. You got a pacifier if you need to use it. So it doesn't matter. Listen to this. It doesn't matter when God sends this child. For the people who have died before Jesus came to the earth, it's too late. For the people who were on the earth when Jesus is birthed into the world, it's too much. It's too much to handle. And for those of us who have lived after Jesus ascended back to heaven, it's too far-fetched. Think about it. It's too late if I died before he got here. 
It's too much to handle if somebody tells me, hey, there's a baby over there in that manger. That's your God. You need to worship him. And it's too much to fathom for many of us who are walking around in the world that we live in. It's too far-fetched. Unless. Say unless. Unless. Say unless. Unless. Unless God does something like use prophets to tell people who he is and what he's going to do before they pass away. Hebrews 11.1, I'm going to read to you. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So when the writer of Hebrews writes now, it's after, it's after this. Everybody say manger. manger. It's after this. So what he's saying is now... Faith is the actual substance of the thing that we were hoping for, and it's the evidence of the thing that we couldn't see. Now he's actually come, which means there's a before now. He says, this faith, though, by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For by it, he was taken, or by it, for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Before I go on, that's verse 7. Like Noah got that blueprint for a life raft for Christmas. And he built an ark, and it saved him and his whole family. And many of us would have taken that blueprint and said, what is this? I want a new gift. I want a new giver. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which, was, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Listen to this, verse 13, Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. They died in faith, not having received the promises. They heard it from prophets, they heard it from angels, but they didn't actually receive it. The prophets and the angels said, there's going to come a child. He's going to save the world. He's going to forgive you of your sins. He's going to make everything right that's wrong. And they they didn't get to see him. They didn't get to receive it. It was a promise and a prophecy. But they believed. You know, the Bible only talks about a few, but just think about this. All over the planet, God was talking to people. 
all over the planet telling them about this child. We only hear a little bit of the story and a few people, but all over he's saying there's going to come one who can help you. There's going to come one who changes everything. Those who died before he came, it's not too late if they were willing to listen instead of be pacified. Because when God's saying there's one coming, somebody else is saying, I have the power of magic. When God's saying there's one that's going to forgive you, somebody else is saying it's about silver and gold. Isaiah 7, 14. This is 700 years before Jesus comes to the earth. It says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's 700 years before he comes. God isn't saying that if he came after, if you died before he came, it's too late for you. He's saying, I'm already telling you. Isaiah 9, 6, 700 years before the birth of Christ says this, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. 700 years before he comes, it's telling you who he is and what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. If you died anywhere before that, it's not too late. Amen. You put your faith in him. Are you part of his government right now? Is he the prince of peace in your life right now? If he's not, pop that pacifier out of your mouth and put your focus on Jesus. Let's look at nine months before the birth of Christ. 700 years, let's fast forward to nine months. It's still before. Luke 1.26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same way he's sending angels and he's sending prophets and he's proclaiming his word to Mary nine months before through Isaiah 700 years before, he's always been doing that. Chances are he's been speaking to you. Amen. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. You'd be surprised how many people that call themselves Christians don't believe in the virgin birth. There is no Christian without a virgin birth. There is no salvation if he's not virgin born. He has to be God. If he's not virgin born, he's not God, which means he's not righteous and holy, which means he can't save you. How can you call yourself a Christian and not believe in the virgin birth? 
There is no Christmas. That's not Christmas. That's just another baby boy. God sent an angel to confirm for Mary that what she was experiencing at that time, in that moment, was the fulfillment of prophecies and promises that God had made over 700 years before and even before that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you lived a life where whatever you were experiencing at that moment, God would be able to say, look, I prepared you for this. I told you last week. I told you last year. I told you 10 years ago that this is where you were going to be. All that is to strengthen you to understand that where you are is where you're supposed to be. You don't have to say that would be wonderful. That's who he is, and that's what he does. You have the past, you have the present, but what about post-birth, right? Us. Post-birth, death, and resurrection of Christ. What about those would-be believers? That would also be hard for us unless... God sends his spirit to confirm that truth and those who would live after he's already ascended, right? They had the prophecies before. They had the moment when he came. But what about us? Somebody came to you and told you about this child that was born 2,000 years ago and put your faith in him. John 16, 13 says, however, when he... The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come, and he's going to glorify me. He's going to lift me up. What does it mean to glorify? Glory is light, right? So it says that the Holy Spirit is going to shine a light on Jesus. That's what he does. When you come into a service and and love for God boils up inside of your heart, that's the Holy Spirit shining a light on your Savior. That's how it works. It ain't me, and it ain't the worship team, and it ain't some cute pacifier. The only thing that ever happens is the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. John 6, 44 puts it this one. This way, Jesus says himself, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me in the manger... Unless the Father who sent me draws that person, and I will raise him up at the last day, and it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now you get the Trinity. Uh, Jesus first says that the Holy Spirit is going to glorify me, and then Jesus says it's the Father that actually draws you to a place where the Holy Spirit can show you who I am. He says it's already written in the prophets. It's already written in advance so you know it's true. So before the Christ, after his ascension, God makes these provisions for faith. He makes it possible. He makes it clear. I was listening over the last few weeks. I've listened to like a thousand messages on Christmas. I've listened to like, you know, I I saw people going to events and plays and all kinds of stuff. And I, you know what I just kept thinking, the thought that kept coming to my heart and my mind? Man, I just love the truth. Like, if you just, if you take the facade of everything and you just move that away, and you're like, just tell me the truth. I hope you guys are in love with the truth of the word of God. I hope you guys are in love with like, man, you can be so easily distracted. So easily distracted. But there's something about the truth. God will make you like a a discerner of truth as well. How many of you in your Christmas shopping realized that 
that stuff that you think you're getting on sale is old product. <laughs> like I was shopping for stuff and I was like, this is on sale and I think that I'm winning, but this is like last year's jacket. <laughs> I'm not truly getting a sale. They're selling something that they have overstocked that they couldn't sell last year and they're selling it to me this year, making me feel like I won something <laughs> and they're the real winner. You know how that's what it's like spiritually a lot of times for people who don't love the word of God? You're, you're buying stuff that ain't real and ain't valuable and there's truth somewhere. Amen. So I have another gift for you guys. Where's my basket? I knew you guys couldn't, couldn't handle it after all this pacifier stuff. Sarah, can you help them out? So don't give them more pacifiers. Underneath there, there's some other envelopes. Red and I think silver. Doesn't matter, they can all have the same color this time. Don't open these ones yet. I know what you're all thinking, it's flat, might be a gift card. <laughs> don't open it yet, don't open it yet. Don't Look at you, just like the kids. <laughs> The kids come running down the stairs, dive on the gifts, didn't pray, didn't thank God, didn't wait for mom and dad to wake up. Everybody get one? Raise your hand if you don't have a gift. We want to make sure you get one in your hand. There's a couple right here, guys. The red and white ones? Red and brown. Okay, okay. It's okay. You'll, you'll be all right. We'll make sure that we get you one. The couples can share. There you go. All y'all who try to steal two gifts. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, we're good. We're good. We're good. Everybody's got one. So don't open it yet. So we're still in the, in the how that God does this thing. And Christmas is the fulfillment of mathematically impossible prophecies. If you look at all the things, we only looked at a couple, right? Isaiah said this, and he's going to have the, the, the government on his shoulder. He's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. If you look at all the prophecies about Jesus and him coming and all the things that would have to happen, it's a mathematic impossibility, right? They say that fulfilling all of the hundreds of these prophecies, it just couldn't happen. But even if you look at just eight of the prophecies and say, what's the probability that it could be fulfilled? It turns out to be something like one in 10 to the 21st power, which is 1 to 10 with 21 zeros after it. One out of every that many people, what that means is there hasn't even been that many people in existence for there to be the one where it could actually happen, okay? So open your envelopes. Merry Christmas. Everybody got a gift card. We're going to go somewhere and just <laughs> enjoy ourselves. Oh, no, you got some truth. For Christmas. Oh, they don't have one over here, man. Share, share. Can you do that, RJ? You can share with Isaiah. There you go. Praise the Lord. So we have a picture, I hope. Did you get this one? There's a tree. You got it, Isaac? All right. So all of you guys have this picture of this genealogy. It's of the birth of Jesus. Jesus is the son of David and he's the son of God. And this picture that you have in front of you shows us how that's actually coming to pass. 
I'm going to draw your attention to a few things, but the first is a name. It's toward the bottom left-hand side of your page. It says Jeconiah. See if you can find Jeconiah. Left-hand side, bottom left, halfway through that list. Say amen if you find Jeconiah. Amen. See, you guys are finding gifts. <laughs> Blessings. So we found Jeconiah. Listen to this. This is Jeremiah. Chapter 22, verse 24. Look up. Don't, don't focus on the list anymore. You know where Jeconiah is. Oh, there it is, the picture. So this is Jeremiah 22, 24. It says, as I live, says the Lord. Say, Lord. Lord. He's the one saying this. As I live, says the Lord, though Keniah, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand. Right? That's his seal, his signet of God. Yet I would pluck you off. And I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those who face you, um, those whose face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. So I will cast you and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they desire to return, they shall not return. Is this man, Kaniah, Jeconiah, a despised, broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land which they do not know? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David, and ruling anymore in Judah. So put that picture back up of the tree. Everybody have your tree. Find Jeconiah. Listen to what God is saying. God is saying this man is cut off. No more is going to come from him. No more in his lineage are going to sit on the throne of David. They will not be kings any longer. This is the end of the bloodline of King David when it comes to the kingly line that starts with Solomon. On the left-hand side of your picture right here where you have Jeconiah, if you go up to the top where it says uh, Solomon is the first name there. He's the son of David, and he's the kingly line of David. So picture this. It's his blood, and it's going down these lines. And when it gets to Jeconiah, he says, you or none of your sons are going to be king anymore. So the bloodline of kingship is cut off and done. The blood on the kingly line is cut off and done from Jeconiah because God says that line is now, or that family is now cursed. They can no longer sit on the throne. The kingly line still goes on, but it becomes a legal right to the throne, not a blood right. So on the left-hand side of your list, again, it starts with Solomon. That's the kingly line, which means anybody after Jeconiah, they have the legal right to be king. But it's no longer the blood of David that runs through them. It's a legal right, like the title deed to a house. You have a legal right of ownership. On the right side, you see Mary's line. And at the top, you see David's other son, which is Nathan. Right? Mary's lineage, Joseph's lineage. The first son is Solomon on Joseph's side. The first son on Mary's side is Nathan, also a son of David. So check this out. Jesus has the legal right to the throne through his stepfather, Joseph. See the last name on the list on the left side? is Joseph. That's Jesus' stepfather. He has the legal right to the throne because of Joseph. And Mary's line, which is also Nathan, who is also David's line, he has the blood right to the kingship 
because David's blood flows through his veins. And Jesus has the heavenly right to the throne because his father is not Joseph, his father is God. There's a lot in the manger. There's a lot in the manger. There's a lot in the manger. And if you're paying attention, if you're connecting the dots, if you refuse to be pacified, you can see some things that others are going to miss. God's saying, it's not hard to believe, you're just ignorant. He's saying, I didn't hide it so that nobody could find it. I did miracles that are mathematical improbabilities. It's impossible for these things to happen if you're not God. This is the only time in history past that this has happened and the only time in history forward that it could ever be proven. 40 years after Jesus dies, around 40 years, 70 A.D., uh, Israel is, is taken into captivity again and all of the records are destroyed. The only time you could prove that somebody fulfilled both of those lines and had the right to kingship is Jesus. Never to happen before, never to happen again, and never to even be a possibility of being proven again. The how of Christmas is so amazing that I wish I had more time to tell you. I haven't been able to tell it all in 10 years, and I won't be able to tell it all in the next 10 years, but here's the good news. God gave everybody this gift. And it might have been one of those ones that you said, I didn't ask for that. It might have been one of those ones that you got and it just went into a drawer at your house, but I'm telling you, it's the gift of all gifts. And it's all in here. This could have been the wow of Christmas, but if you can believe it, there's something even more amazing about Christmas than that. So number one, the how. Excuse me, number one, the why. Number two, the how. And finally, I'm going to close this morning with the wow of Christmas. The wow of Christmas is that you are a major part of the story. This story is about you. We could look at it and just say, I can't believe that God would do all these things and orchestrate all these things and all this has happened. And he closed this divide that we could have never closed ourselves. And he did it in such a unique and miraculous way with prophecy and with angels, right? But the whole point is that this story is about you. The Bible is written according to, uh, to John. Let me, let me get to that scripture. Good thing I have one of these hard ones, hard copies here because I didn't write it down in my notes. John chapter 20, verse 30, says, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Say not. Not. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That if there's one scripture you need to know and know how to get to, thank God. For your grace right now, Lord, that I found it. That's the one. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. What it means is this. Jesus did so many things that he can't, you couldn't write them all down. And the ones that John decided to write down, he wrote specifically that if you would read them, you could believe and find eternal life. 
So when somebody asks me, where should I read in the Bible? I don't just say John because I like it. I say John because God said John was written that you could believe. But there's people here who haven't read John. It's crazy. Or they're mad because we've been in Matthew for two years. (laughs) Merry Christmas. The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Listen, the, the Bible says that <clears throat> we've been told just enough to tell the story. Just enough to make the middle complete. You get the end and you get the beginning. But it's just enough. It's not all that could be said. It's just enough. But there's another book. And your story's in it. Listen for a second. This one's given so that you can believe. This one's given so that you can have faith. This one's given so that you can have eternal life. But there is another book, and your story is in it. Your story is not necessarily needed to be added to the Bible that others could find life, but your story, please believe me, is very, very important. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, says this about your story. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. Say books. Books. Say books. Books. Say my book. My book. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, we have the Bible that tells us how to find eternal life, and then your story is written in one of two books. Your story is either going to be written in the book, the Lamb's book of life, which leads to eternal life, or your story is going to be written in another book that you're going to be judged for, and you're going to be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. But please believe me, your story is being written this morning. Take out the pacifier and make sure it's the right story. Where is your story written? In order to be written in the Lamb's book of life, you have to have a personal Christmas story. Let me say it again. Your book might be 20 chapters, 50 chapters, 150 chapters. Some of y'all like to talk a lot. It's a long book. (laughs) But listen, if there isn't a chapter in your story about your Christmas, you will not be in the Lamb's book of life. The child has to be birthed into your life. You have to be born again. You have to accept the virgin birth. You have to repent of your sins and have Christmas. The advent, heaven touching earth, God coming into the world. You have to have that in your story. If you don't, you're in the wrong book. Take the pacifier out. We don't get to recite Mary and Joseph's story and act like we've been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Ooh, come 
It doesn't matter if you know the story of Christmas. Everybody knows the story of Christmas. They're standing out in front of Walmart wrapping presents for Christmas. It doesn't matter that they know the story. They don't have their own story. Anybody can write, recite that story by now. What's your Christmas story? And why don't you tell that this year? Why don't you tell the story of Christmas from the Bible and the story of your Christmas that's written in the Lamb's Book of Life when you see your family tomorrow? At the birth of Christ and the lives of Mary and Joseph, here's some, some encouragement to know whether or not you have a chapter in your book. At the birth of Christ and the lives of Mary and Joseph, they were met with accusation, they were met with shame, they were met with isolation, they were met with uncertainty. And for many of us who have come to know Jesus and had him birthed in our lives, our chapter has some of those same things in it. The world shamed us, but it should not compare to the shame of the sin that we had to acknowledge in our lives. Who cares what the world thinks about me or what the world thinks about you if you recognize that you're closer to this group of heathen, straight, 100% evil people. If you know that you're closer to them than you are to God, the world can't shame you. What can the world say about me that's not true? What can the world post about me that's not true? What can the world draw up from my past about me that's not true? The shame that I feel is because of the God that I denied, not because of how people look at me. But the world tries to shame us. And you know what they do? It's like a pacifier. They say, well, stop if you stop with that Jesus stuff. Don't take that pacifier. Endure like Mary and Joseph did. Endure the shame. Place it where it belongs. On yourself because of what you've done to God. Think about what he was willing to do in order to forgive us for that shame to come out of heaven, to earth. We feel isolated when we leave our old lives behind. People withdraw from us. They stop inviting us. You didn't even get an invite to the Christmas party tomorrow. You're just showing up. <laughs> I know in my chapter on salvation, in my chapter on Christmas, there's isolation. There's a part in there that talks about isolation. When nobody wanted to be around me and nobody believed me that I was a Christian. Felt isolated. But you know what I do? I focus on the isolation Jesus must have felt when he left heaven, where he was worshiped and glorified, and he came here. Can you, you think you feel lonely when you gave your life to Jesus and you came into a church? It doesn't matter if there was 20 people there, 100 people there, or 5,000 people there. You think you felt isolated? Imagine leaving heaven to come here 2,000 years ago in a desert to be born in a stable but we feel isolated, take that pacifier out of your mouth. His story ends with community as he brings people in to relationship with him and he bursts his Holy Spirit into their life. Our story ends that way too. That isolation you feel initially, it will not last if you endure. Amen. It's called the church. It's called his bride. Amen. Mary and Joseph felt uncertainty. He don't know if he trusts his wife or if he believes her. She doesn't know if this is really God. Are they going to make it? Think about all the uncertainty surrounding the birth of Christ into this, just these two people, this couple. 
And you think you're not going to feel any uncertainty as you give your life to Jesus? There should be some of that in the chapter about Christmas in your, in your book. <clears throat> what happens to that uncertainty, though, is it's replaced with faith. Remember that hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 where it talked about Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Enoch and all those people? Please believe me that in their story, there was some uncertainty. God, where are you? God, was that really you that I heard? Why am I dying without seeing you? <laughs> but they died in faith. Man, I hope there's a chapter on uncertainty and faith being built in your life, in your Christmas story. Think about this. When we realize how confident God is in us, that he would send his son for us and expect us to overcome those fears and overcome the uncertainty and overcome the isolation, it should bring tears to your eyes that God thinks so highly about you. The whole story, remember, it's about you. He knew Mary and Joseph would overcome their fears and their doubts, and he trusted them to care for his son when he couldn't care for himself. I wonder this morning, if we pop those pacifiers out, what is it that God trusts you for? He says, this teenage girl and her husband-to-be, I trust them that they'll overcome everything that's going to come against them, to put their faith and trust in me and believe what I'm telling them. And on top of that, I'm going to put God in their hands and they're going to take care of him until he can take care of himself. That's how he feels about the people he created. That's how he feels about you. He trusts you to do some things. I think we can overcome our fears. I think we can overcome our doubts. And I think we can be carriers of the life of Christ within us. We can have Christmas if we focus on what the true Christmas story is and nothing else and don't allow ourselves to be distracted and pacified. Worship team, would you come? <clears throat> See, church, there's no point in the Christmas story if God didn't believe that you would come to him on your own free will and once you saw and heard the truth, about what he's done. If he didn't believe that you'd come to him, there's no point in Christmas. He could have made us down with me, church. He could have made you serve. He could have made you come. But he gives us free will and he says, listen, once they hear, they'll believe. Once they see, they'll come to me. They'll lay down their old lives. They'll repent. They'll, they'll be astonished that I would close such a wide gap that I would do the unimaginable. I'd come out of heaven and become a man. I'd become a child. I'd trust a virgin to birth me into the world. I'd trust a fiance to trust a woman <laughs> who says she's pregnant but she's never been touched. I trust them to keep him safe. When I say go to Egypt, they're not going to go back home and say I didn't want to go there. They're going to go to Egypt. When I tell them to stay until it's time to come back, they're going to stay. When I tell them to go back into Israel, they're going to go to Nazareth so that my prophecies would be fulfilled. He trusts those who would hear him and listen, overcome fears. He's the same God and we are the same type of people. He's speaking into our lives this year. I guarantee you this, he's not saying in 2018, I want you to make 52 services. One for every week. 
In 2018, I want you to make 52 Bible studies. One for every week. We're going to give you a couple off for Christmas and Thanksgiving. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, I will send my spirit. I will send angels. I will send my prophecy into your life. And if you will just listen and look and not be pacified, Amen. I'll write amazing stories in your book. Amen. Amazing stories in your book. 12 months from now, I don't want you to be talking about the gifts you forgot that you got in 2017. The family Christmas party that you can't remember who was there in 2017. The cool stories about Christmas trees and St. Nick. Man, none of that stuff matters. It's a bunch of nonsense. What we need to be talking about is the chapters that God wrote in 2018 in your book. The things that you heard in 2018 that you hadn't heard before. The things that God is fulfilling in your life in 2018 that he made promises about in 17 and 16 and 15. God believes in you. Man, I hope you believe in him. The real God of the Bible. The real story of Christmas. Bow your heads, close your eyes. You've heard a story this morning. I'll tell you that it's a true story. But I'll also tell you that the world has a lot of stories that they're going to offer you. They can only do one thing, and that's pacify you. Great Christmas stories that aren't centered on Christ. Great stories about giving and being liberal and being loving. But I promise you, at best, they can only pacify you. The story about the God who created you. The God who loves you so much that he brought heaven down to earth to save you. That's the real story. In Luke chapter 2 verse 7 it says that she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Here's the question. The only question that matters at Christmas is... Is there room in the end of your heart for Jesus? The Jesus of the Bible, the Savior of the world, God with us, Emmanuel. If you're here, maybe it's your first Christmas, maybe it's your 20th Christmas in a church, but you don't have your own Christmas story. All you have is knowledge of Mary and Joseph's Christmas story. Would you like to have your own this morning? Would you like to be able to say you have the child, you made room for him in your heart? He's been birthed into your life. You believe it because he prophesied about it. You believe it because he wrote it for you. You believe it because he sent your, his Holy Spirit to say, let my son be glorified. See him for who he really is. See Christmas for what it really is. Is today your Christmas? Is this part of the story that's written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If that's you, I just want to see your hand. You're not, you weren't saved before, but you know you are today. Anybody else? 
Anybody else? Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. For those of us who are here, and you know that you are saved, you remember truly giving your life to Jesus or truly making room for him in your life, in your heart. But this morning, maybe you see a little bit more clearly what he had to do to provide that for you, what God had to set in motion, the impossibilities that had to become possibilities, the distance and the gap and how far away you were from God when he came tracking you down. If that's you and you want to thank him for trusting you with the life of the Savior, you want to thank him for sending the Spirit to illuminate who Jesus is, you want to dedicate right now the rest of your life and definitely the beginning of 2018 to honoring him, just to rededicate yourself to the Lord. We're going to do that at the altar. We're going to sing and we're going to praise him. We're going to know what the truth about Christmas is, but we're also going to force you to take a step. There's no more babies. There's no more pacifying. If you want that, you have to take a step in that direction. Don't wait to the 31st. Do it now. Do it now. Let today be the day where you say, I'm tired of being pacified. I'm tired of asking for the gifts that I want. I'm going to take the gift of the genealogy. I'm going to take the gift of the truth. I'm going to take the gift of the word of God. I'm not going to let the gifts that get put under my tree this year take all of my focus, all of my attention, and all of my time when I have this season of openness with the spirit of God where he's trying to speak to me. Take a step in that direction this morning. I encourage you. I implore you, I ask you, <laughs> with all that's in me, it's not about this particular altar, but it is about the steps that you have to take to get to it. Lord, touch your people. Let them open something down here at this altar this morning that they cannot open anywhere else, Lord God. It's not a gift waiting for them under their tree. It's not at a friend's house or a family's house. It's not going to be delivered by Amazon, Father God. It's specifically from you for us, and we can open it right now, right here in this place, Lord God. We lay down our pacifiers. We leave those in our seats, Lord, and we come to you for the gift that you have for us this morning, God. We thank you for this Christmas. We thank you for our Christmas. We thank you for the day you sent Jesus into the world, Lord God. But we thank you for the day that you sent him into our hearts, in our book, that we'd be written in your book of life, God. Watch over us as we leave this place, Lord God. Bring us back to pray and to worship you on Friday. Bring us back to get into your word and your gospel on Wednesday. Bring us back for the last day of the year to end it in a worship and praise unto you. We love you. We thank you. Meet with us at your altar, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 
in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.